0: Welcome to It's No Accident, a podcast about the challenges of personal injury and wrongful death law in Florida, one of the nation's most complex legal environments.
1: You'll hear compelling stories about real cases from our law firm in Tallahassee that will help you better understand your rights and protect yourself from the negligence of others. I'm Mark Nani. And I'm Jason. And this is It's It's No No Accident. Accident. About is, uh, you know, how you and I got together in terms of practicing law Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of our our marvel comic book origin story so to speak you know like uh how did we get teamed up you know how long have we been doing this together and now that i say that i'm I'm thinking about it and i can't believe it's been <laughs> i mean what 13 years since we thir- yeah. 13 14 years since we've been working together mm-hmm. so can you kind of talk a little bit about you know how we met and you know how we got together and how we started working together
0: sure yeah no it's been it's been a while it's kind of one of those things where you know time flies by you know it's, it's fun it's crazy to think it's been that long but
1: it's not always fun though <laughs> yeah that's right that's right
0: um, you know I mean we both obviously went to FSU Florida State University Law School um, you know I was a few years ahead of you and and when I got out of law school I started working at a, a personal injury firm here in town um, and I think you were started working there as a law clerk right I did initially I yeah, did. when I was you were a still law in law school yeah Yeah. And so, I mean, that was the beginning, I think, and and you started working as a law clerk and I think, you know, you and I were working a lot together initially. And then once you graduated, um, you ended up, you know, getting a job there and and continuing working there as well. And, and I guess you and I worked there together for what, I mean, 10 or up until um, 2018.
1: I was just, I was trying to figure out what year that would have been. I think it was, uh, I think I started working there in 2009 as a law clerk and uh mark was an associate there and um and i i mean as a law clerk you think you know everything you know you're in law school you know you think you know everything but really you know nothing um so you know i worked as a law clerk there and you know kind of meandered my way through uh doing you know law clerk work you know writing demands and and sifting through medical records and and doing that kind of work and um I got hired on there and I graduated in 2011. So yeah, 2011 is when I got hired on there as an attorney. And, um, it just so happens that my office was right next to Mark's office. And, um, our listeners may not know this, but, uh, I'll tell you a little secret. Uh, when you go to law school, they actually don't teach you anything about practicing law. Um, right. So, you know, (laughs) when, when I started practicing law, you know, I was given it. And I think that the same was for you. Like we were just, I was given a caseload. Like I got s- sworn into the bar and I had a caseload and, you know, the, the partners at that firm were just kind of like, go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have questions, come ask us. And I had lots of questions and Mark's office was right next to mine. Um, and, uh, I was in there a lot cause he had been doing it for two or three years and, he uh, he had some answers to the questions that I had about what I needed to do because every time I got something filed, I was you know you know almost had a heart attack because I didn't know what the heck it was that got filed and I didn't know what to do with it. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, having it, it was a great learning experience sure. for sure. Um, you know, I'll forever be grateful to the fact that they just threw a caseload at me because it was. Uh, is the best way to learn.
0: No, I agree, I agree. It's kind of sink or swim, you know, throw you in there and it's scary and terrifying, but it also kind of motivates you to, to learn stuff faster, you know, and, and so it I agree it works out well. And it is, like you said, it is kind of funny that, and I didn't really even completely realize it until about the end of law school or when we first, I first got out of law school that, yeah, like, great, I, I graduated from law school, I got a law degree, but I don't know the first thing about how to practice law or file a lawsuit or right. any of that. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, I, I know, when I first got out I remember older attorneys would say like oh you know when you first get out of law school and you you first get hired at a law firm you're pretty much worthless for like three years or five years or something like that because that's it's how long it takes to really learn how to actually practice law because you don't learn that in law school you know which I mean that's a whole separate topic the way that law school does that I mean as compared to like medical school where you, you graduate medical school and then you have a residency where you're basically doing on-the-job training right before they actually put you out there and let you be a real right. doctor right. Right? right they don't do that for lawyers you yeah. know you got to do that by getting a job somewhere and kind of doing the grunt work for a while, you know, Mm -hmm. so, um, but anyway, so yeah, we practiced there for, you know, years until 2018 when we decided to kind of, you know, break out on our own and do our own thing and start this firm.
1: Right. And, um, uh, Vince Barrett, he was, uh, he's kind of the, the godfather of this firm, so to speak. He was uh, a partner at the old firm we were at and he was one of those partners that gave us the opportunity to just work the cases, you know, Mm -hmm. he was one of the guys, he was, you know, just do it, you know, you, you if if you're going to learn, you're going to have to do it. Right. So, you know, he gave us the cases to work on and um, you know, we worked there at at that firm that he founded that firm as well. Um, and been in Tallahassee for over 30 years. Yeah. Um, he founded that firm and you know, some things happened and um he he left that firm and there was a a, a split that happened there and he gave us an opportunity and here we are.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we're definitely grateful for it.
1: Which is crazy that that was already five years ago.
0: I know. I know.
1: unreal. Nani and Hamola are here to help you recover. For all your Tallahassee personal injury needs, call the offices of Nani Hamola at 850-601-1111 or visit noho.law. Uh, one of the things we want to talk about with this podcast are some of the complexities in in. Florida law and I think probably the best way to do that is to talk about some of the cases that we've had and one of the one of the more recent cases that we resolved was an electrocution case that Mark you were the the lead attorney on Um, and there were some some complexities in that cast in that case and it resulted in a substantial multi-million dollar recovery Uh, and and I know it was it was not easy to get to that point Mm -hmm. so can you kind of Tell us a little bit about that case and and some of the challenges that you had during that case.
0: Sure. Yeah. No. It was um, it was definitely a tough case. Um, and you know, it, it's funny too because or not funny, but it's you know like it, over the time we've talked about different cases that we have and you know lots of car cases or trip and fall or slip and fall cases. But I guess this what I'm trying to say is this one kind of you know is shows that the types of cases we handle just kind of run the gamut. You know, they're not always just car wrecks and slip and falls and trip and falls. Like you said, in this case, it was an electrocution where a guy got electrocuted um, by a power line on his own property, you know, and it, it was definitely complex too. And it's one of the reasons I I like doing this type of law um, is because we'll get cases like this that are a little outside the norm. It's not just like a normal car wreck case or or a fall case. It's something that's, um, you know, you don't see all the time and it's in kind of a technical area like in this case, you know, electrical engineering basically is what the, you know, the main focus of the whole case was how these power lines were strung up in the air and how they were connected to the poles and all the electrical engineering that went behind that. And so it's kind of like, you know, you, you obviously we're lawyers and we have our lawyer hats on and we know all the law and all that kind of stuff. But you also have to, in these different types of cases, almost to kind of become kind of an expert in these different areas. Right. Cause I, you know, in, in order for me to know whether what the other side is saying is is legit or not, you know, the defense when they're trying to throw their defenses out about why wow, it's not their fault, in order for me to know whether it's legit or not, I got to know something about the electrical engineering behind it, you know, and, the, right. and how to hang the wires and everything. And so, um, it was definitely complex in that regard. And you know, of course, it's it's something where you know, and especially cases like that, it, it becomes very expert intensive, right? We had right. our expert who was an expert in electrical engineering, they had their experts, and so, of course, that's how I was able to learn a lot of that stuff, but, um, you know like i said it was really all came down to you know there's a whole book of laws that and rules i should say not laws but rules that electrical engineers and electric companies are supposed to follow when it comes to how to safely hang these power lines that you see you know going all across um above our heads or throughout the city and throughout you know the counties how to safely do that because those you know those live wires are carrying a lot of electricity and it can be super super dangerous and super harmful to people and Um, You know, it was a situation where they didn't follow the rules. You know, they hadn't hung the wires properly. And, um, you know, one of the lines ended up coming down and electrocuting a guy on his own property and, and, you know, killed him. And And, it it was tough.
1: Just, yeah, and talking to you about that case, it's, uh, it's wild to me because when you start digging, when you start digging into that case and you started looking at the electrical engineering component to it and, you know, the rules behind how these lines are supposed to be hung, you you know, you go over to that county and you look at I don't remember what you told me, it was like it was a significant percentage of the lines that are still existing in that county today that are not hung correctly. Right. And you're like, well you kinda you start looking at it and you're like, well there's there's a reason why this happened. I mean if they were they were hung correctly, it probably never would have happened.
0: happened. No, that was our whole our whole case. If they were followed the rules it wouldn't have happened. And like you said, it is crazy. I mean it's literally you know, I'm going to use the, the A word again, but an accident waiting to happen. You know yeah. what I mean? Literally, where they have these lines that are improperly hung, th- th- miles and miles and miles of them, you know? And it's, you know, unfortunately just, um, you know, one of those things where, because of the way the regulations are, they're essentially allowed, they're able to get away with it until someone gets hurt or dies, right? right. <laughs> you know.
1: right. And, and like I said, that was a, I mean, it was a substantial recovery on that case, but at the same time, I mean, there was somebody that that died right, and those are some of the most difficult cases for us to handle because you know you've kind of got to wear your your counselor cap for the um, for the for the clients the family the mm-hmm. the ones that are left behind and then you've got to you know you've got to fight for them on the legal side and then, as you said, you've got to put on your other cap and you know do all the research and and teach yourself about. Um, The interplay between, in this case, electrical engineering and the law and and how that all applies. But uh, I say that to um, bring up the point that in a wrongful death case, how do you come to the point where you're valuing a case like that? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, because the medical bills are obviously not going to be that much. I mean, you know, obviously there was, he, he passed away pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. there wasn't these ongoing medical bills. Um, so really you're looking at what are called non-economic damages, uh, your pain and suffering, um, uh, loss of, of ability to spend time with this individual. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you come to a point where you're able to at least try to get in the ballpark of what something like that's worth?
0: Sure. No, it's tough. Like you said, I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, difficult, you know, there's no formula like, you know, that, that just tells you what a case is worth, especially a case like that. I mean, for any case, there's no formula that tells you what is a fair amount of money, but especially a a case like that, where, like you said, it's all just based on the the pain and suffering and, and, um, you know, emotional, um, the emotional harms basically of losing a loved one. Right. Um, and it's tough, you know, it, it takes a lot of really, getting to know the people and getting, you know, getting to know your clients, getting to know the survivors, the ones who are left behind, um, and really digging into not only that, but also their relationship with the deceased. You know, a lot of times it'll be a, a spouse or, you know, in this case it was the, a parent. Uh, you know, it's my, my clients were the kids of the, the guy who died. Um, but really getting into that relationship because that's ultimately what the whole case becomes about. Right. You know, what was... The, the survivor's relationship with the deceased prior to the incident happening. How close were they? Were they estranged? Were they the type of people who, you know, had, you know, Sunday dinner every Sunday kind of thing, or and getting into that. And then ultimately it's, you know, just trying to, um, you know, and, you know, a lot of times we'll also to try to figure out the value it, it, compared to other similar cases, right? right? I mean, that, like right. I said, there's no magic formula. Really what we're doing is, it's almost like you know uh, an appraiser figuring out what your house is worth. Right. They're looking at the comp, the other sales, the comps up and down the block of the other properties that have been sold recently, and using that to figure out what your house is worth. And we're doing the same thing with other, you know, cases that we've handled over the years in our firm, and the you know the settlements or the verdicts that we got there, and then also doing research on the internet for that kind of stuff. Right.
1: Like there's software out there that we yeah. can actually tap into, and um, we can look at databases of what cases uh, got with similar facts, similar injuries. Um, In what they got as a verdict at a trial and what they got as a settlement prior to a trial. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're always looking for uh, cases that are similar to yours and and what the outcome of those were as far as a recovery. And that will give you at least a ballpark of where you should be starting or or looking at to get the case resolved.
0: Um, No, for sure. And then I guess, you know, in terms of just real quick and, you know, going Taking a wrongful death case to trial, I, and when you're in front of a jury, I think one of the biggest difficulties there that's not there in a lot of other you know, injury cases is the thought that a lot of people are going to have that this person's dead, dead, yes, it was terrible, it was negligent, it was horrible what happened to this person, but if I give you a bunch of money, it ain't going to bring him back. Right? right. Why should I give you a bunch of money? It's not going to bring him back. It's not going to change anything. Kind of it is what it is kind of an attitude. And it's where it gets tough for you know, us as, as the, the attorneys for the victims to explain to the jury the reason behind, you know, awarding non-economic pain and suffering damages and in the fact that it's, you know, the focus is on the lost relationships, right, the lost time that you, the, the, the family member would have had with the deceased that they no longer have anymore and, you know, stuff like that, right? Right,
1: yeah, and I mean, our legal system's been around for several hundred years now, and, you know, I think everybody can agree that you can't bring somebody back and you know a lot of times you can't change the injuries that somebody has and the best thing that anybody's been able to come up with in our legal system is monetary compensation and it's, it's just the way that it is and you, you know we have to try to come up with a, a reasonable value as to what the injuries are worth or what what uh, the loss of that loved one is is worth to the family no matter your injury nani Hamola is here to help you recover is it today?